This podcast is sponsored by Man Present. Ever struggle to buy a man a present? Want to get a present that is universally loved? Who the hell doesn't? It's usually so bloody hard, right? Socks and ties are lame, gift vouchers suck, and flowers will not be well received. Well, all your man gifting worries are a thing of the past with manpresent.com. Manpresent is a gift box delivery service that lovingly sends classy gift boxes of Cuban cigars and single malt whiskey to the man who deserves a touch of class. Whether it's a wedding, a new father, a birthday, or just because they deserve a gift, use manpresent.com for the win. With boxes starting at $69, it has never been easier to be a gifting king. Simply visit manpresent.com and ensure you use the coupon code OFFTOPIC, all one word for 5% off your order. Manpresent.com. Man gifting made easy. Where we're going, we don't need roads. Yeah. I'm telling you my story, man. Yeah. I'm drunk, show what? Beautiful, I'm drunk. Show me the money. Show me you talk. The money. Give me two. Hey, what's up, film friends? Today we have Australian filmmaker Liam Worthington joining Jason and myself just to have a little chat about uh, his upcoming film, One Less God. Uh, amongst other things, Liam wrote, directed, and produced this film. Uh, it's been a labour of love for him, but hey, I don't want to spoil it. It's all coming up. If you do want to catch One Less God and the Q&A with Liam, listen up. Here we go. I'm going to try and do this. Okay, October 21, event Tugra. October 23, this one here, you're going to need a friend or family member to get you in. It's the Hoyts Entertainment Quarter Red Carpet event. That's October 23, but it is sold out. So if you are local, yeah, start... Uh, Messaging all your friends trying to get into that one. October 24, event Parramatta. Q&A there. October 26, Avoca Beach Theatre. October 29, Avoca Beach Theatre. And November 18th, Avoca Beach Theatre. All Q&As there. Then we're going to have some screenings without the Q&As at the moment. Uh, November 1 to 8 at Metro Cinemas Lakehaven. Then we've got November 8 to 15th at the Peninsula Cinema Sorrento. And... November 19th to 22nd, Dendi Opera Keys. So as you can see, at the moment, New South Wales based. I know that um, Adeline will tell you this in the interview, but he has had screenings around the world. But right now we're concentrating on little old New South Wales and Australia. So if you do want to catch the Q&As, go back about 30 seconds, listen to those dates, and I might see you there. Let's get into the show. <laughs> oh, see, karate kick could have been so much different. Grab the leg. I mean, let's look, at, let's look at some films early on just quickly, because obviously I know that you have a big history in martial arts. What are some of your favourite martial arts films? Um, I did look, I, you know, the Karate Kid films. I have to say, you know, I, I love the first, the first film with yeah, Daniel yeah. San and Pat Morita. Still very special to me. Yeah. The first my, my boys at a six and four, they, they like it. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, so well, it still sits there, you know. I think you know that that, that it's got that classic. It's not just because it's a karate film, is it? It really is that great classic mentor relationship. Something that all young men really need to to transition. Yeah. And I think that it's a beautiful example of it. A lost, angry young man yep. finds a calm, powerful mentor who teaches him that the only way to move, you know, through his anger and his pain is actually to control it, to channel it, and to you know, and then to to be able to transcend it. And, and that's clean, and clean my car. And that's uh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Well, that, that part of, but part of that's true because he teaches yeah. him responsibility. Yeah, yeah. you know, and that's a massive. It yeah. is respect, responsibility, doing the hard things. You know, doing that. You know, really is becoming a real man, owning up and taking responsibility. And so, yeah. So I actually think that that's a, a beautifully written example yes. of that classic kind of hero's journey. It's a really perfect under, yeah underdog. You know, who's bullied and all that, taking on the the bullies. Well, I had a really great conversation with someone the other day about how uh, boys become men. Things mm. like that, and uh, we discussed it a little bit the other night. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, my, my wife did her masters on on that. Yeah, right. And uh, looking at you know when you get to that sort of puberty age, you know, anywhere between twelve, fourteen, fifteen, around that sort of age group, you no longer seek um, to to learn things from your father, your no, direct you father. Yeah, you you need outside inter- interdependence instead of independence. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's what I really like about Karate Kid is um, is that you know. He gets to that point of his life where he needs an, a role model, yeah. um, but particularly a male role model. Like his yes. mother's a strong, yeah. a strong woman in that. What I actually would have—it's a perfect film. What I would like to have added, though, yeah. is <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't mess with Karate Kid, man. No, but, but I would have loved to have seen like uh, a strong father already in their life, and they just happen to the whole same story, but the strong father's in the life, and but he just can't seem to. It's, direct, interesting, it's interesting though because I mean that's the thing. Yeah, I know what you mean that because you get to see that, that this is what you're doing. You're learning these other skills as a father. But there's a really strong case, isn't there, in terms of those classic heroes' yeah. journeys that typically orphans yes. or yeah. that minimal family nucleus. Because there's some pretty strong literature that suggests that the smallest nucleus for a happy, successful family is the dual parent model. Yeah, it's 100%. so hard to have a single, you know, a single parent. It's just it's it's. It's brutal. Now, the yeah. truth is anyone, you know, that, that nucleus of two, you realise that if you have strong grandparents in your lives, that that is invaluable. Yeah. And if you yeah. have a greater extended family, and like you say, other mentors around, yeah. it's and just, impenetrable it's, it's, you too. do need a tribe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if he had a solid father figure, he wouldn't have retaliated, potentially. Well, that's what Credits role, end of movie. Or yeah, but that's what I wanted like right, to have yeah. seen, like, you know, that, uh, <laughs> you know, I've got my dad, he is strong. But he just doesn't have the tools, or, you know, or I don't want to listen to the tools that he has. He might say exactly the same thing as Mr. Miyagi, but I'll listen to Mr. Miyagi because he's not my father. That's yeah, sort of, at a certain point that definitely comes in, you yeah, know, doesn't it with kids, like you were saying, there is that, you know, that they, need, they need to get their I'm lessons from outside. I'm just projecting. Yeah, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want us to keep going here or what? Yeah, yeah. It's just a bonsai tree, man. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the only we, difference. We, we know you're telling your kids the right messages, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So speaking of, um, speaking of growing up, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the Northern Beaches. I was born in Manly Hospital on the Northern Beaches. Yeah, Manly. My dad was uh, my dad was an artist, which was back in a generation where you know uh, it's 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 okay and it's cool to be an artist now. Back then, it really was you know cut your hair and Slog. get a real job. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> and it was hard. There's a lot of social pressure on him, and it was also incredibly hard to. It was still very hard to make a dime as an artist, but it was way harder then. And so he found a way. He was a really talented artist, a talented airbrush artist, and he. 
started spraying surfboards, and so he became the, the sort of the foremost airbrush artist of surfboards in oh, Australia. Right. And so I kind of grew up at the epicenter of Australian surf culture. Wow. You know, the rise of you know Billabong and Quicksilver and yeah. Ripcool and Rip Rip Curl. Ma- part of Mambo. Me. Yeah, Mambo. Yeah, yeah. yeah my, my, is it? Yeah, Mambo's. But yeah, my, always, my, my yeah. uncle's went a Mambo. friend of yeah. the Mambo owner. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, still yeah. own one of the shirts because uh, it was a famous, I can't remember the artist's name, but it was a famous artist that yeah, you know, was yeah. doing yeah. a lot of those things. Yeah. So I, I've still got that shirt. Yeah, well, yeah. Mam- Mambo gear was great. I loved it too. Yeah, yeah I used to have I had a chunk of it as well. Yeah. So how yeah. long was your hair as a surfing kid? Oh, I've had long. I had. I used to have long hair for a very long time, and then I st- would get to sort of a point where I just go, you know, I'm sick of it, and then I go to bald, or you know, shave right <laughs> yeah. down, and then I just grow it Cleansing, right back to full long right. again, and that was sort of my life cycle until yeah, yeah. I got a bit older. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, by that I mean over thirty. <laughs> yeah. Damn, I need a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you surf as well? Uh, you can. Surf. I do. I've got. I've got. I've got a. I've got a bit of a. a an, an old, a long, long-standing knee injury, oh, yeah. which which limits my time in the water, but I still try to, you know. I'm, I'm never going to give it up, I don't think, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't, I just can't do it. I just don't know how to, like, same as skating. Like, uh, I know that, Jason, you're a, like, avid roller skater. Oh, out of all the things you say roller skating, <laughs> it's ice hockey. You've got ice hockey and roller skating. No, We're just seeing you cruising yeah, along yeah, Bondi. With my big, you know, heavy head, headphones right. on. Hey, it's it's the things to do these days. I used to inline skate, inline skate. Yes. At Manly Promenade when right. I was uh, 18. So yeah. back in. I probably used uh, to throw chips at you when you yeah, went Yeah, I think you would have been. Look at that guy. Uh, it was, uh, I'm, I'm going to say 1990, 1991. Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But no, then I went on to ice hockey and stuff like that. Anyway, off topic, oh, but good, a yeah. little bit though, because you're right, I can skate and ski. Mm. I cannot, um, sorry, ice skate. I cannot uh, skate or snowboard or surf. Surfing, so, so you shouldn't. You know, the thing is, you don't feel like you can surf. It's just that it's a hard sport because it takes a long time because you're not just learning your balance, you know, which is very particular, and it's nearly every wave's different. So yeah. your how you're adjusting to it is is always, you know, which is why you get learners learning on the very big boards because it kind of gives you that real stability and equalizes waves. But after yeah. you know, if you start on smaller boards, one will make it very hard. Yeah. But because you've got to learn the ocean all the time, you're paddling into a wave. So a lot of guys go out there. It's already too much. And you've already got, you know, you, you're, like, you're struggling just to get, you know, two chances <laughs> to try to learn to stand up and get balance. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> and every time learned, it hurts But when once you've learned the ocean, then, you know, then you're getting 20 or 30 times a session and then your improvement yeah. really starts to change. Yeah. And I have a paralyzing fear of sharks. So if you were like, Sean, stand up, catch this one. I just like stiff on the board. Or he would hear is It's true. Yeah. Oh god! I used to be fine, but uh, bodyboarding, things like that. You know, I think most people bodyboard. Yeah, bodyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shark younger. biscuits, we used to call them. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm afraid. I always saw things underneath me. But uh, no. So, were you living um, sort of northern beaches when you got into film, or did you uh, move? On I from not not into film then. I, I I was still on the northern beaches when I started heading across to do acting at uh, the Australian Theatre for Young People. All right. Um, how old, how I, old were you then? It would have been 19, I think. I think I'd just come out. I'd just, I'd just done a year of art school. And right. I'd sort of did, had, I, had a, I had a passion in high school for, for drama. And in year 10, our, uh, our drama teacher was fired. And we only had one at our school. And there was a zero value placed on it. So he was sacked. And they just never replaced him. So, so it, you couldn't it, do it. So I couldn't even do it. So I couldn't even continue yeah, with drama. Was, oh, well, I, did, I wanted to do drama for an elective in 11, 12. And there was only two of us. So they cancelled it. Yeah, right. That's like, that, that was the value placed on drama back yeah, then. That's right. Yeah. We didn't have it. So. Yeah. <laughs> so after art school, I sort of, I, I did, I'd done a year of art school and I, I just sort of went, look, you know, I, 
could sense where my real passion was and I, yeah. I had a friend who was doing some acting and and I went that sounds great so I just went out there and started you know auditioning for shows and doing some acting classes dropping classes and things and 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 then uh, end up, uh, you know, after a few years of doing that, I auditioned for some of the, the big university courses and, and end up going to Nepean and to Wollongong, doing some great, you know, studying for a few more years and then coming out of that and having a, having a theatre company, the short story. And then after, yeah. then I had actually, we'd moved up here doing a show because uh, the Central Coast was such a big region for youth suicide. We, you know, we, we were <coughs> number one in Australia and Australia was number two right? in the OCD. Yeah, what, yeah. What era was this? Not 90s? Well, this was only, this was only 24 years ago. It was 20, you know, or 23, yeah, 23 yeah. years ago. And I'm not sure where we, where we sit now as the coast, but we, wow. had, we had the highest rate in Australia. And we, we, you know, and, we, and Australia was number two in the OCD, so... Shocking statistic, you yeah. Know, shocking statistic, um, and so trying to grapple wow. with that. So we spent, you know, the company spent a couple of years grappling with why that was and trying to figure that out. And on the back end of that, you know, we'd done a number of different grants and things. And I had a, I was also involved in circus, and so I was teaching circus workshops for street kids and things like that. Just sorry, just, just going back a little bit though. Yeah, I want to go yeah, back to your yeah, acting. Yeah. <laughs> what did you? What was it specifically that you loved about acting? About acting. Or I love. mean, look. I uh, honestly, I think it began watching Monkey Magic when I was probably like six years old, <laughs> jumping around my backyard As yes. with a with a with a with a you know with a long piece of wood Ding. that my father sprayed <laughs> one for me, you know. But but no, you know, I was kind of I think Northern Beaches back then. The all the other kids weren't watching Monkey Magic and loving it, you know. They it weren't. Was, they, they Do you weren't. know, I had to watch Monkey Magic because I, I was uh, brought up in Canberra. And we right. had two television stations. One was commercial and ABC. And Monkey Magic go. was on ABC, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, I kind of yeah. didn't have a choice, like, yeah. which was a great thing. But yeah, yeah, five yeah, o'clock. Yeah, I think you guys would have Sydney would have had three stations. You, you guys have had three commercial stations for we did thirty yeah, years, yeah. right? And the Northern Beaches was very. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a blue ribbon liberal kind of seat where we're there. But my, you know, dad was an artist. He was very much on the, you know, the left hand side of politics. Yeah. And so my, yeah. you know, it was all ABC. <laughs> I think for me, kid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What's Thanks, a, Dad. What was the sort of style that you, you went into in acting? You know, like the whole Meisner thing like that. Was yeah, I mean, I, I studied a few of the different styles for me, and um, Stella Adler, I thought, you know, her school was very good, and um, I, you know, and I studied Stanislavski very intently too, um, and have done some Meisner training as well. Uh, for me, you it's know, as, as I've learned as a director, I think I, I think I think I wish I knew more as an actor of course that, that you know that what I've come to understand as a director that there really is no right method you know that, that sure. sounds so simple but to real you know the thing is that acting is such a vulnerable craft yeah you are you are so exposed and it's so difficult to get work you're sort of you know you feel like you're like you're from Willy Wonka you know what I mean you're just opening every fucking chocolate bar hoping you're yeah. like oh god rejection 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 so so that's sort of the, what that does, I think, to you know the average actor's psyche is you really want that crutch, you want that thing that you know is going to work for you, and this is the system, this is the thing, and for a lot of people, actors, it's like a religious experience. They grab their, you know, their philosophy, and it becomes like a religion. Yeah. Um, and sort of learning after a while, and you could see the deficiencies in people, and not just deficiencies in terms of where it might impact upon their craft, but also upon their, you know, their, their persona and psyche. I've seen Stanislavski make people just not nice people. Yeah, yeah. And that's and because they, they you know, there's a lot of training about how to get into character, but not a lot of training about how to get back out of it, you know, <laughs> and about who you really are that's that matters. Very good, you know? actually. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've talked. How, about... how would you describe your acting? Like, what was your kind of favorite? Uh, kind of sub-genre 
Would it, would it be drama or um, overacting? No. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I like to honk my red nose. Go, <laughs> you know, because I, I love my circus stuff. Um, I think for me, I mean, you, this is this is part of my own philosophy too. As you start realizing, you know, as we said, I do a lot of martial arts, and I've listened, I've trained with some of the, the greatest martial arts teachers of all time. I think. Yeah. And. And that's not just about the physicality; it's about how they, you know, how they teach the mind and how they teach the, yeah. the how they teach the heart, the spirit, and realizing that every human really, you know, is, is a composite of, of their mind and of their, of their heart and of their, their body, and that people have a you know a, a prime mover, something that you lead with, and some people lead with their mind, and that's then, and some people lead with their, their heart, their emotions, and other people lead with their body through life, and understanding where you lead from is so critical. And then also understanding what of those three is really your anchor because they're not all the same. You are going to have, you know, you know, your, your, your prime move and you're going to probably have something which is an area where you're weaker. But people get confused. So you get people who have really great emotional barometers but they're trying to lead from their mind because they, they've got insecurities about their intelligence or yep. they think that's how acting is or... You know, they, they, they yeah. come Hang to on, I'm just writing way. this down. Hang yeah. On. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We'll get a transcript of the podcast for you. <laughs> it's, it's so true, though. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. just so true. You know? so, so finding... It's understanding your, your assets, really, like what you're, it what is you're born with. Understanding your instrument. Yeah. yeah, you've got to figure out how you work, how you work, because... And that's and that's your craft as a director. And, and, and so it's tricky at first because you just sort of... There's that whole thing. And I think it's combined with that notion where we had... You know, everyone's special and unique and talent is this X factor. And so everyone's kind of like going, I hope I've got that hidden mystical talent somewhere, you know, and it's going to come out and someone's going to see it or it's going to find it or whatever it is. And then you realize, though, that it's, you know, it it just doesn't work that way. And then the training can now start to be focused in. Now, if I get an actor who is very cerebral but very powerful through their mind, you'll know, you know, you'll, you'll work with them through that, you'll direct and you'll be pretty clear on you know when are they overthinking when are they pushing too hard this way when do they need to surrender when they just need to let go and then you'll get someone else who is you know who is so powerful emotionally but they resist that you know yeah. they, they don't like to sort of live in that space Which they is more know vulnerable, where it right? can go it's so vulnerable yeah, yeah, yeah. and you kind of have to wake up the bear you know you've got to sort of tickle the you know the emotions out and bring them to life and so and then you get other people who they're just they're so their body is far better than their brain. Their their, their physical movement is so natural. And when you see an actor who just can't use their body, I mean, it really does stand out. But when you see ones who their body leads, so just allowing them just to inhabit the physical world and the physical reality and fill their space in, yeah. the mind and the emotions start to follow afterwards. But if you force them through the mind first and then do it, you know, and blocking is just a physical exercise. You look like exercise. Jim Carrey or Ace Ventura, you know, like this. <laughs> well, he's, he, no, he's exactly, he's a great example of a physical comedian, right? Yeah, Imagine yeah. stealing his physical comedy and trying to get the level of performance out of him. Yeah. It's exactly that, right? Yeah. Now, now, of course, he, he someone like that turns up on the set, he's going to do it anyway because that's become him and, you know, he's able to push that in. But it's a perfect example. He yeah. is someone who is... Yeah, strong with his mind, strong with his emotions, but his body. Well, he he is learned where he yeah. learned where his compass is pointing very early on, you know, and went with it, and took risks, and you know, it kind well, of paid off. Well, that's that thing with stand-up comics. You know, they all say that you know that you have to be a little bit crazy to be a stand-up stand-up comic. But I think the, the the benefit of that is that you stop at some point. If you go through a childhood like that, and you're sort of putting yourself out there that you're extremes all the time, you're you're getting good at going. 
fuck it. You know, I don't yeah. care what people think of me. Yeah. I'm just going to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. That kind of bravery. Very thick skinned. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah Ballsiness yeah. that's really required to become something special, I guess. That's why I like when I was Jim Carrey in um, Man on the Moon, Andy Kaufman. Mm. That's why I kind of like uh, Andy Kaufman. I don't think that, you know, he's a, he was a funny comedian, but he found it funny. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and so I find I find him finding himself funny, funny. You That's know, right. it's yeah. that and sort the, of and thing. There'll be certain yeah. people who come along for the ride if they want to come along for the ride. He got that really early, I think. Yeah. You know, but yeah. I've always been interested how you know so many comedians make make fantastic actors. You know, like the late Robin mm. Williams is so. Yeah. And I think amazing that, that duality. That's something that's. Yeah. Um, I remember being in a in a very. I'd done years of training with you know under good schools, great teachers, and I had a lady come out from uh, from America called Judith Weston, and she's trained directly with Lee Strasberg, who was you know big wig and you know and Stella Adler and people like that, you know, and 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 she was a real working acting teacher, you know. This this is a woman who is not she's not a failed actor who, you know, has started teaching. Not there's anything wrong with that, and it's incredibly you know when I say failed actor, I'm not trying to diss actors because it's a you know. That is the majority of us by, by a long shot because yeah, it's yeah. so tough. But this is someone who, you know, chose teaching as her passion and had been doing it for so long, you know, that it's sort of that really high end and drilling down. And she's a remarkable teacher. I got to spend a few weeks with her. And I remember <clears throat> being both, you know, absolutely inspired and utterly depressed because I really did feel genuinely that I, I learned more in that short space of time with her yeah. than wow. I had in the years of study of what I was doing. It was just so... You know, she was so so well calibrated, so you know, so insightful in her precision, her understanding about to read. And one of the one, I'll give you a quick example was, we brought in a bunch of uh, actors to do scenes, and the directors who were in this course were a lot of really good directors, directors like um, Jonathan Toplitsky um, and uh, Kate Woods. So lots of really good, uh, great Australian directors were yeah. in the were in the were in the, the room, and. So they brought in some high-level, new emerging talent, to, you know, to uh, to to be the, the people who come in to act, act the scenes out. We direct the actors through these scenes, and we had uh, one young Australian guy come, was doing a scene. I can't remember the name of the actor, sorry, but he, powerful guy, built almost like a bear, kind of had and had that sort of that real kind of you know that energy like a Russell Crowe has, or you know, yeah, like yeah. a real okay. kind of manliness stuff that you know a lot of the the, the Americans love us for. Yeah. And he really had that this natural vibe, and the scene was a love scene, and it was like a tender kind of like sort of, sort of mini tiff between him and he's so he's doing the scene with the other actress, and she's great, she's nailing it, and he's just not there, he's not there, and and he's struggling, and the and the and, and the director is struggling, and the director is struggling. Finally, Judith kind of steps in, and and because she, she doesn't she doesn't you know step in easily because yeah, she just yeah, prompt yeah. the director and try not to, you know, until she finally, but she can see, she said, look, there's a problem here, isn't there? You know? And the guy kind of nods his head and she said, look, you know, you've, you've got a block to this. Yeah. I don't know. And he said, and then, so she, she said, look, the things I've found is that people who people often resist, they resist what they are most, you know, the, where their greatest talent lies. And she said, it's a funny thing, you're just, you're geared the other way. She said, I'm sorry, but if you're, if you are a softy, warm, wet, emotional person and you do a scene like this and you're crying every two seconds and whatever, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. There's no power to an audience. Yeah. He said, a man like you, someone like you, yeah. who this kind of vulnerability for you costs everything, yep. you hate it, you resist it, it's against all of your natural grain, but if you go there... I tell you. It'll be unbelievable. It'll be yeah, unbelievable. People are going to be yeah, sitting yeah. there. It's where crying. the real magic yeah, is, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So, and so that's what he does. So Finding the next thing he does it, and every, you know, it just 
blows everybody away. Now that you can call that, you know, that's not that's not a specific technique. What that is is that's reading the human before you. Yeah. That's seeing the person you're in the room yeah. with and realizing what's going on and then how to talk to them to actually yeah, bring them to the place where that happens yeah. exactly. And that's you know yeah, expose it almost. Yeah. So for me, you know, that's what I mean as a director, I go, that's it. That's, find that place. That is what directing is. I understand that from my teaching in martial arts world because that, you know, you have to relate to students on the mat all the time. Yeah. But I'd never been treated by that that way by a director before in my own experience as an actor. Yeah. I was told what to do and we might talk about character, but they weren't really working with me yeah. as a human being, you know, and that's what so, you know, and I've realized that for me as a you know, as a as a director, that's how I want to serve. You know, that that's that's the best way. You're there to be of use to your actors, and that, that's the like, whole human. Is it is it like a balance of understanding understanding the character that you've written versus the actor that's playing it and their their vulnerability, or uh, or you've got to just cast right from the from the get go, perhaps? Yeah, there's almost a there's a it's <laughs> almost like a bit of a you know a split a split thought on that because there is that idea of you know directors you know. You, I'm, that person's an actor's director. And so I know the people I work with, you know, will consider me because of my past to be an actor's director, yep. which, you know, of course is a something that, you know, you're, you're proud to wear that kind of an idea and a badge. But as, you know, me when I talk to other friends who are directors and the truth is you know that you just have to get, you have to get there. If you can't get it onto screen, then you're stuffed, you're screwed. And so this is difficult because you've got everything from the mechanism of producing, you know, can be attaching people that you don't necessarily, you know, plan to work with as a director. Um, some people audition brilliantly. They look fantastic and then you, but you know, but when they're on set, they can yeah. turn into a nightmare or they never rise to those same heights again. Yeah. You know, they're performers, not necessarily actors. And so that, so these are, these are difficult things to navigate. Now, sorry, when, when it comes to that, that idea of, uh, you know, do, is it is it right to manipulate someone to get the performance that you need, as opposed to help that person sort of open up and blossom into it? I think yeah. there's sort of there's kind of two approaches around that, and I for for me, of course, it's really about helping that person try to open up, and get to it. But I'm not so cynical that I can really say that in all cases it's wrong for a director to do what they need to do to get across the line because directing is such a tough gig and you are helping the actor ultimately if you get a decent performance on the screen you're helping them too but directors at the end of the day you get crucified you get crucified for everything <laughs> it all gets blamed on you yeah. and the dp is money right yeah but the dp is off on another job after a film people don't realize that crew you move on actors move on quick too yeah. directors it just ain't so easy. Yeah, yeah, it really isn't. But the, the opposite side, the flip side of that is that if something succeeds, <laughs> yeah. you're the golden child. Yeah, I guess know, so. Uh, I guess and, so, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's... it's well, you live and die lives. by your film, right? I guess is yeah, what it comes down to. I wanted to ask, though, with the audition process, I've often thought, do you give them the most challenging scene for an audition or... Or, I mean, what is a challenging scene, though, I guess, is, is the other question. Because it depends question, on the yeah. character. But. I mean, for me, because, I mean, it's on the last, on, the, on, on One Less God, we did do extensive casting, you know. I mean, that was one of the things where if, we're, if we don't have money, we don't have a lot of money, then oh, I determined from the start that we would take a lot of time um, and, and, and not so to help us lift the quality margin. And, and I know there is so much talent here in Australia within our, within our acting depths. I mean, we're pumping out any number of graduates from fantastic schools around the country every year. And only a fraction of them end up on screens, a tiny yeah. fraction. So these are, 
and having gone through drama schools, you know, that the ones getting onto screens are not necessarily the best people in the, you know, out yeah. of those groups too. I've seen that plenty of times where some of the most talented people I've ever seen, you know, don't end up with careers. And that's yep. just the way, you know, it's, it's a tough industry. Harsh. I'd like to see it bigger so it incorporates more. But anyway, where was, where was, sorry, well, what was the question again? It's okay. We're, 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 you're on a podcast called Off Topic. So that's okay. <laughs> yeah. well, no, it's, it's, all, a, it's all a safe space. I was going to say, it's funny because <laughs> I, I like that Off Topic part because it, it's basically talent identification. Yes. And, you know, a lot of Close, my background yeah. is sports coaching, things like that. Right. And talent identification is one of those things you, you at the moment, no one can nail down. Even mm. though you've got these massive multi-million dollar, like say Premier League teams who have academies and people around the world watching... They still get it wrong. I've most got a of great interest in this too. I really do. Can I do see it being like casting? Yeah, mm. I, I share yeah. this share this passion, this interest, because I really do. I I believe in the being, you know. I believe in the human being now, and I've I've said this. And I stand by it. That I now believe that I, you know, I could cast better off a conversation with someone over a cup of coffee, than I could off watching a scene most yeah. of the time. You know, you get the yeah, 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 yeah. you get a sense of the facility yeah. of the human. I and I've it. been fooled in auditions, and then you sit down with the being afterwards, and you go, oh boy. Yeah. You know, this, 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 and you can see the deficiencies, you can see the fractures, or you can see the limitations, yeah. Yeah. and you're going to rub up them every day and go on set because it's not just the moment they're acting, it's how are they, you know, how are they interrelating with the, you know, the person offside of them, how are they interpreting ideas, how are they workshopping, you know, and broadening and deepening. Yeah, the, yeah at the end know, of the, the day, work. that one being is still a, a small part of the large cog, right? You know, yeah, in yeah. sport as well, you know, it's, yeah, you don't have a superstar, but he has to work within the, or she has to work within the team. That, you know? that mental, yeah. you know, every champion, you know, when you see, you watch those specials on that great Mexican boxing champion or, or whatever it is that you watch, and you, there is something that's born inside that human where you can absolutely draw a pretty clear straight line between why they became great and who they were and how they were shaped as a being. Yeah. And and that is the thing, and that's so you know you need some facility, you need some skill, but like yeah. uh, I think it's the it's uh, bounce. I think it is with Malcolm Gladwell who talks about you know that uh, <clears throat> you only need enough capacity. At a certain point, you've got enough facility. Then it's about all about what you do with it. Yeah. It's all about so that to me is the activation of you know of of, of, of you know your emotion and your mind at that point and not your physical you know genetics unless it's about sprinting or something right, where you have to have the capacity. Yeah. 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 Um, because I listen to a lot of uh, podcasters, I'm sure all of us do, you know, yeah. lots of celebrities, famous people, things like that. And more often than not, uh, access to doing something becomes a big factor as well. Uh, so, you know, you think, oh, they, they say, oh, my parents lived in Idaho and we did this, we did that. And then it turns out their father was one of the most famous musicians in Idaho. Yeah, right. And like they were really top and creative. Mm. And and had that sort of access early on as to well this is how you do something as a top end creative rather than someone who's yeah. say born into an accounting family yeah. who one yeah. day decides I want to be an actor and, and then they're like well how do I do I do exactly. I go into a class but you know they don't have that sort of um, early integration you are well, you're just starting a lot further behind aren't you you are yeah. you're starting a hundred meters further back in the race that's just the truth of it you know regardless yeah. of your capacity at that point yeah doesn't exactly. mean you can't do it of course no, it but uh, but there's certainly um, legs up in but it's life. But, but it's good to grasp that too yeah because then it does also that that points you towards the direction of going yep. I'm gonna have to work harder work harder <laughs> I'm gonna I'm, that's just the only Motivation. option if you, if you yeah, want to yeah, be yeah. realistic about yeah. it, it I remember I remember your question well. sorry yeah oh. in an audition do I give them the hardest scene or not <laughs> so, uh, I, I usually wouldn't try to go for the hardest scene. I'll go for something that will give them, uh, give you a good taste depth. of a little of, bit of depth, yeah, maybe of where that, so they can show a bit of that range and where they can get to. But uh, you, you, 
You mentioned uh, Monkey Magic early mm. on as an inspiration for acting. What were some <laughs> of the earlier uh, films that inspired you growing um, up? Growing up. I can, I can always remember, it's funny, you know, I, I always remember The Abyss by James Cameron yes. was a film that I just, I just loved. And it seems, you know, it still seems to me to have gone kind of under the radar. For it, it, I agree. It's, it's yeah. a film that has, it's punches way above its weight in terms of its, it's, it's as high concept as anything we've ever done in terms of high concept. It's, it hits all those great sci-fi beats brilliantly. Does, yeah. you know, has that great, uh, dramatic you know sort of drive to it but at the same time has it really does has a beautiful heart and emotionality yeah. to it that is just really mm. and, and character and development and that's and, yeah, yeah that's what people don't really understand about james cameron to do that inside the action space yeah you know very, very is, is so hard like yeah. we can we, we talk about you know the, the 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 amazing um what's his name i've just gone blank for a second um you know transformers um michael bay, bay. michael bay you know what, what a master of action he is yeah but when it comes to that emotional barometer, character development, that some character development, you know, that, that someone like James Cameron is a great example of. He goes, he gets action, but yeah. he can also do high end drama yeah. in a beautiful, yeah. profound way, and that marriage of it. So yeah, The Abyss as a kid really was like a, a bit of a perfect film. Do you um, think people don't watch it today because they look at The Abyss online and think it's just one of his like underwater documentaries? Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> which he has uh, a lot well, of. Maybe, but <laughs> I mean, I, I do know some. There was some early uh, CGI in that film with one of the aliens. Yeah, uh, yeah. Liquid coming down alien. the corridor through yep. that little scene. So that's yes, probably great. the only part of that that doesn't look the best today. Other than that, yeah. even the end, yeah. which I won't spoil what that is, but even the end ships and so forth are, are very great because they're practical. They're miniature, but they're practical. Yeah, right? that's the great thing about Prax stuff is it holds up. It holds much up, better, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was watching... Uh, I was watching Jaws is the same. The original Jaws me is yeah. the same. I mean, I've watched any yeah. number of shark films made in the last five years and Jaws holds up better. I know. Yeah. <laughs> did you see The Meg that came out a few months Meg. ago? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Jaws still holds up for me better than a lot yeah. of the shark in The Meg. No, absolutely. There's plenty of times you watch The Meg and we're all aware we're just looking at a giant CG creature. Yeah. And we're, kind of, you know, we're going with it, but that's definitely what we're seeing. But... A lot of times we're watching Bruce in Jaws, and that, yeah. that is not that's a shark. We're looking at as far as we're concerned. That's <laughs> no, how it feels. We, yeah. we actually watched uh, Predator, the Predator together. So let's not compare Predator versus the Predator. <laughs> 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 Practical effects versus what was that? Anything else? Abyss? Well, there's going to be a couple. Of yeah, no, things? there's lots of things. I mean, the the, the, the Princess Bride was a film oh, that that excellent. that uh, that you know was just. So tell me, because so I kind of I know that you're like one of your key genres that you love is fantasy yeah, maybe a slash yeah, sci-fi yeah, or yeah so I, I guess the princess bride could have been maybe the start of that a little bit the uh, fan, loving think, the fantasy genre or <laughs> I, I i don't think so or I reading think I, lord I, of the rings it was it was, it was literature <laughs> it was literature yeah. yeah i mean my parents read to me a lot when i was a boy which was great um and then i i think through my teenage years yeah lord of the rings was a book that became like a, a coping mechanism for me i think i i, I read it 13 times so <laughs> oh. i was all, i was no slouch and I used to go to the library and I used to borrow, I think the limit from the local library was 20 books. And I would, and even though it was ridiculous, I could have them a fortnight and there was no chance I could read the 20 <laughs> in a fortnight. I'd always select my 20 fantasy books and I'd yeah. take them off home to read. And I, and I loved what, you know, great fantasy did, which was more than, you know, we, we see a lot of it now. People think of these, it's about, as well, Hollywood seems to think it's about action adventure. 
and they now they you know that we use save the cat model or we use a you know the hero's journey model to graph something in there but i think they've they've lost so much of the the true value which is that you know fantasy for all the great writers they dream new dreams for us yeah. they dream new possibilities new yep. universes new realities new political systems new trade systems and they play them out map them out and you get to explore them and yeah. isn't that what what a remarkable thing to be able to to plow into the imagination and of course <coughs> then we have the dystopian stuff which was the opposite right yeah. which gets us a chance to you know, the, the, the 984s or what have you, to really <laughs> map out that kind of potential terrain of where we can go. And that's got a lot of value and utility too. Yeah. But now dystopian stuff has just become because it's cool when shit's bad. You know, it's not, it's not really because <laughs> yeah. we're, we're understanding the psychology very good looking, of what our right? stories do. I don't know. We really need war, World War Zombie. World War Z is World it? War Z. number two, which is I, coming I, out. Uh, I, did, I did love that <laughs> how they had the zombie wave like crawling all over itself, going up yeah. like the you know the, the wall. In I Israel. think uh, David Fincher <laughs> starts filming that in Feb. Yeah, is it David Fincher doing it's it? David Fincher. Oh well, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the only thing that brings me into it. But I was like, when I heard it again, I was like, oh, okay. And yeah. he hasn't done a film for four years. Wow, and he's come back for that. For Z. Years. Yeah, but right. I, I really like sort of post-apocalyptic type films just because I, I always like to look at how society can rebuild. And then if you're if you're going yes. back to scratch, what do you do? And I was reading it's like something. A reset. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading this great article the other day about uh, what you would eat if the world just went to kaput. So how would you survive? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not forwarding that to anyone. I'm saving that for myself. So <laughs> one day when I write my fictional screenplay, that's going in there. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I already have my plan with a couple of buddies what I'm doing in post-apocalyptic. <laughs> we have our exact route. We end up in Jurulong somewhere. But anyway, I'm not well, talking We were sort of all our karate schools would be very useful. We put out, you know, a notice to all the students to band yeah. together. We'd have an instant, you know, kind of strong tribe. So you're, you're a doomsday prepper. <laughs> yeah, I just haven't told you about it. Whoops. Oh no, that's that's fine. <laughs> I just know where to follow. I, I even have my weapon of choice. I, I know. What's your weapon of choice? Oh, the katana. The katana. Yeah. <laughs> Do you own a katana? Yeah. No, but it's, I have a friend who that's your owns a very sharp one. Because your katana against you know now you practice against arrows and M16s and things. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe well, not here. Yeah, sorry. No, yeah, sorry. America. No, yeah, like yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. some. Yeah, there's a yeah. show called Doom, Doomsday Preppers, and uh, I've seen a few episodes of that. And it's full on, absolutely yeah, my, full my, on. One of my, my sons uh, was was a fan, but he was like for him it was a comedy exercise too. He would watch it, you know. Oh, it's fantastic! Having a ball, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but sorry, that's completely off topic. <laughs> <laughs> watch Jim Day Preppers. Well, yeah. <laughs> so my route is uh, beeline down to Eastwood to weapon up, and then up the freeway to. Uh, anyway, that's that's where I'll so, stop. Yeah. So fan, fan, <laughs> fantasy, that's where it was born. You know, that, that yeah. was for me. Where okay. The, I think the lovers came out of literature. So is that the moment, was that when you know you want to be a filmmaker heading down? I did, I did, I did dream of the idea as be, when, I, when I was a kid. But, yeah. um, you know, there's all those, you know, people love to do that story of, you know, dad came home and gave me a Super 8 camera when I was six. And That's I started happened to me. <laughs> Genius. Yeah. Got me nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is all fine, you know, but I think for me really it was, I, I was just, we have different psychological traits that gear us towards different things. But dad, dad, dad was an artist, and you know my school holidays were spent just watching him. You know, and I was bored out of my brain most of the time. But I'd be standing at a surfboard factory watching him and helping him tape up surfboards and do these beautiful designs that you know, eight nine hours later would turn into this fantastic yeah. work of art. But this, I can just still remember the look in his eye and watching him. You know, as he, as he would work. That so that real 
deep concentration like like a crafts like a great crafts person has around relating to the work and yeah. and I think that probably I didn't know it at the time I didn't know what was being woken up in me but that was sort of being woken up and then I realized I was searching for the you know my mechanism what fit fit me best as a human yeah. to try to you know, to, like to what you're going to spend time on, yeah, exactly. What, what would I use that as my, you know, yeah, yeah. What, what what would be my medium? Because that artistry takes patience, right? And pride and patience. Time, yeah, it takes time. time. Yeah. I, I don't have the patience to do something like that. And you've got to fail a lot. This is the, you yeah. know, we, we so this is the whole the success model, like you talked about before, directors getting all the glory or that kind of a thing. It's a it's a terrible thing that we judge people so quickly and so harshly within these industries and look for that metric of, you know, of, of, of talent. And a part of that is being driven because people want to feel special and people want to, you know, companies make money off clients who are special. And so you want to bill and pretend and present everything yeah. that way. But the artist's condition is that, you know, even the greatest filmmakers in the world make great films. And then you watch another film, we all go, well, that was pretty freaking average. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but, and that speaks of how difficult the craft is. Yeah. And so to allow people to get to there and have that facility, for me, I, I just go, I think the model's wrong. I think we have a cherry-picking model where we, we look to cherry-pick, you know, that one out of the many thousands of talent. And I feel that I'd much rather, you know, a model which was everyone in the big melting pot together just working day-to-day, -day, creating, you know, because <clears throat> that's what artists love. And then letting the cream arise, and the cream, and that arises from the fact that an audience's love something the work does, you know, yeah. that, that that person produces, and that's for me the best possible metric of why, you know, someone then starts getting, you know, incredible money, wealth, you know, fame or whatever is thrust upon them, you know, because the work is just really singing to a whole, you know, to a, to a large number of people. But at the yeah. moment, uh, yeah, it's 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 a game. It's yeah. a big game. That's yeah, that's what it is. So so you're 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 watching your father. Do yeah. what, you know, his business in there, which is really good. And you decide, all right, I'm going to head into to filmmaking. And you start um, acting in that sort of – is that where you sort of start heading into? Like how do you – what's the steps that you decide this is how I'm going to go into where you are right now? Yeah, I mean I, I would be dishonest to pretend that there was as much cohesive decisions, you know, within that. I think that, you know, I had uh, my – my parents divorced while we were there, broke up and had this pretty ugly breakup when I was eight years old. And so my, mm -hmm. my life was very – uh, traumatic for a while, you yeah. know, some 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 Eight some, some old, difficulties yeah. in my in my childhood, and you know it just takes a while sometimes for the spirit to to recover or you know for for the emotions to center and to figure out yeah. where you are in the world and to orientate yourself. And I think that you know more at that point, you know, things like the ocean and surfing played a, a, yes. a huge part in just letting me find my own peace, find my own way, get a build a sense of self that you can start to honestly step off and yeah. you know towards things make your own movement towards something and i can now track that back and go yeah some of those early movements were definitely towards acting and then from there into i went into directing and, and writing kicking and screaming though i had a, <laughs> yeah i wanted to be an actor and i was so passionate i worked so hard and that was my thing and we had we'd started a theater company and i actually began the theater company because we um i was with my my girlfriend was a was a grad from the school and there was you know we she the opportunities for, for various reasons weren't really on the op on the table for her and I had a couple of other different acting opportunities that were quite good but um but you know we wanted to be together and do something together we wanted to do something that was meaningful and so we decided to start a theatre company at that point 
And then when we got a bunch of people together, lots of talented people to do it, it just happened as we moved along that, you know, more and more of the writing and the directing responsibilities were, were falling to me. Yeah. And Kept coming across your table. Yeah, oh, yeah. and I was, I was, yeah. I, I was, I was stroppy. Like I was. <laughs> Get that away from me. <laughs> I did. I'm I wanted an to be an actor. I was an actor. That's what, that's, what, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I wanted to do. So I did, I, I, I really didn't see it. But then I look back and I can kind of even see it drama school. When I worked with scene partners, we put stuff together. I was always directing. It would always be me who would end up taking lead inside scenes. And I think it was just a, just a, a case that, of capacity Do you think that's because you're a natural leader? Would you call yourself a natural leader or not? Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the qualities of leadership, it's interesting because I've known people who I definitely do consider natural leaders. And I guess, you know, I, I guess that I am, I, you know, I know that I am a leader in, in multiple capacities in my life. Uh, I think that, I don't know about natural because what I think of is I think of those peer groups when I'm young and the, the children there, <clears throat> I'm never, I was never naturally assertive or yeah. aggressive by nature, so I would never push myself towards that kind of outward So you have position. to work at it, but you're good at it. But what I would say is I was I was tenacious. I was someone true that, you know, that I, I you know, there was a certain level of courage, I think, that, that I have in me that I, I would face my fears, I would face my demons, I would face challenges. And yeah. I think by putting myself into a great many situations that other people hold themselves back from or don't well, aren't willing to expose themselves to to that failure and that vulnerability <clears throat> I think that that's probably by by doing that again and again there's a certain kind of strength that comes from that and that's probably what has helped me to, to become a bit of a leader I can, guess. can I ask you're 18 19 20 somewhere there uh, where is martial arts and the circus at this stage of your life uh, are they that just in your life yeah, or not? So, you know, the, the, well, circus has begun. My, my, my auntie, who tragically died of breast cancer when she was only 38, was someone who was very inspirational to me. She was a, she was a Tai Chi grandmaster. And so was my oh, uncle, was, was he, and he was a Taekwondo master and had his own Taekwondo school on the South Coast. And they were, you know, amazing couple, both teachers and, and very inspirational. And, uh, and I remember when she gave me a set of juggling balls for Christmas. Yeah. And you know, she just read me so well. You know? And I can remember looking at these things. And so I think they probably sat there for several months kind of going. And there was just like what do this I do with these? tiny little piece of paper. Like it was just like, like, a, like a shopping docket size, just a few inches long with, you know, destruction, how instructions. How to juggle. Kind of, that's right. How to juggle kind of going. What does this mean? That's and no, one knows. And, no and one hey, knows. people, there's no internet now. There, you know, that's no, yeah, you to, yeah, that's right. Where you learn to juggle in 30 seconds. It didn't exist. So I didn't have any jugglers or anybody in my life, but I started, you know, teaching myself to juggle and figuring it out, and and that really, yeah, that began the circus. I began circus when I was a teenager. Became pretty accomplished juggler, and and then yeah, so, so juggling was your primary or, or gym? That's the sort oh, of tramp. It or? Turned into it turned into fire and stilts became my major things. Right, but yeah, 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 with a bit with a bit fire. of juggling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, why not? Yeah. Fire juggling, fire breathing, fire twirling. Oh yeah, god. Yeah, so yeah. how many? Battens on fire or balls? Can you juggle at one time? Where, uh, where did you get to? It's uh, it's skillfully four. Not knowing about juggling. Skillfully four. So yeah. they say right. you know you push onto the next one. So I can you know I can I can put five into a pattern. But in terms of uh, you just wouldn't put them on fire. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to get burnt anyway. If you're going to play. With, you know, you learned that earlier. I've got a high tolerance for burns now. I think. <laughs> many, you know, many I love burn. watching uh, like say street performers. You know, and a lot oh, of yeah. them are sensational. Well, that uh, was me once. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. and you know, throwing eight things around, and then yeah. they're 
the um, assistant uh, is like, you know, turning on the chainsaw and is like, I'm going to put this in, put <laughs> yeah. this in. Yeah. So and, great. you know, and of course everyone's like, ooh, well, you, you know they can do it. They, they're going to do it and it happens. My thought always is imagine practicing the first time that you said, yeah, exactly. all right, assistant, can you turn on that chainsaw, that live thing, and, and throw, throw it to me. Exactly. Now, throw it to me now. Now. I love so that. Now. How many, how many street performers are out there with like one hand? Yeah, because <laughs> you know, it didn't go well the first time, and that's it. Done. There is that first moment. I've always, you know, made my students. We talk. I think there's a famous story about a karate practitioner called Masayama, who is renowned for the power of his his right hand uh, yakazuki, the reverse punch in karate. This famous punch. And it's said that he, you know, he went into a forest and punched trees for you know for for, for years on end, sort of thing. <laughs> anyway, one of the stories they tell in his myth is that you know that he was charged by a bull and he punched in the head and the bull collapsed. Right. <laughs> this is the story. And uh, now. Of course, everyone, you know, the natural thought is, yeah, is that true? And I always thought, even if it was true, when was the first moment that he's walking through that paddock? You know, uh, <laughs> he's walking through, he sort of looks askance yeah, at the yeah. bull, you know, sizes up the bull and the bull looks this at is him. My next yeah, yeah. All of my drum mates are cow tipping. I'm going <laughs> bull punching. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, those first moments. But, but yeah, first moments, of, but that speaks of. <laughs> letting you know we go through that experience don't we when's the first time you climb that tree and you go beyond that branch that you know is natural at the, the top of that thing or when do you you know really swim out further than you've swum out before when do you let go of the the side rail at you know and you know at yeah. the pool that's that is the human experience of that and yeah. i think that for me is probably the i still hold all, on to the all, side rail of the pool. <laughs> anyway yeah. that's, uh... all types of foods things like that who tasted that to say all right we're going to eat, eat that. this. Yeah. yeah Snails yeah. and so forth. I didn't forth die. And... Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll that way. yeah. So, uh, you, so you have been street performing, your circus, mm. martial arts, things like that, and you, you're fitting in at the same time this uh, all other, well, not, not that that's not creative, but this other creative side of you in acting and now doing a Kenth Branagh and basically writing and directing as well. <laughs> uh, every time, as you were talking about that, I'm like, I'm, I'm listening to Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> uh, so where does that peak? Like what, does anything drop off first or just one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it does yeah. start to fall away. I mean, it really, that they, theater, film is too, film is consuming. Film is, film is such a, a big thing, but it, so circus fell away when I, uh, yeah, very much when I started moving into filmmaking um, and martial arts stayed with me. So Circus Fell was the first one to go on theatre. was probably the second to go. Mm. I still did a bit of that, you know, to put on the odd play or things when I was still, uh, had had started very seriously in martial arts world. Um, but film world, yeah, to be seriously committed and to, to yeah. you know, to try to make a career out of it takes an enormous, you know, you sp I think that's a great Orson Welles line where, you know, you spend... Any director will spend ninety time, ninety percent of their time trying to, you know, raise finance and ten percent directing. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah, the, yeah. You know, and I know we think of that just <laughs> as producing, but you know, you're doing a lot of meetings, you're doing a lot of copies, you're doing a lot of hustling to get anything up, regardless, you know, if you're one of those key creative roles. So I'm sure you uh, you started dabbling with a, maybe a short film or. Yeah, yeah, and I began with shorts and yeah. and uh, yeah, shorts and lots of study and lots of courses. Well, actually, well, actually, it's not where I started. I should say that where I, where I that was my own work, but. Before that, because of my because I had been doing, uh, I'd been working in mental health, well, with mental health with a bunch of our projects. You know, there was I told you about the yeah. the like suicide we prevention. had the suicide prevention. Uh, that was a show that was touring around to schools and putting on performances, and we we're also doing circus performances. And I started doing workshops with street kids, and I was also working with young offender groups. And it must have been so rewarding every day. 
Yeah, that's it's 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 fantastic because it's a different application of the arts, and it's a wonderful yeah. application of the arts. One of the truest, where it's, you know, it's, it really is a healing application where people are just brought back. They're made present. You know, they're made <coughs> present and mindful through the practice of something creative and immediately enjoyable and fun. Yeah. And so you can see that psychological benefit for that is immediate because you just start to create space around thoughts that people do not have space around, and these are thoughts which, for some of them, are very you know based on really disturbing and horrific actions. And the problem with psychology sometimes is that you're, you know, they're trying to untangle those stories to help you make wiser steps forward. But counselling sometimes for some people just keeps them spinning their stories. Yeah. And, you know, and psychologists <laughs> and counsellors understand that, but it's how to transition them out. Yeah. And so when I was, I'd been doing this work and so I was actually approached by a psychologist at, at Central Coast Area Health to, uh, to apply for a job there. Um, and they wanted to do, which at the time was pretty pretty groundbreaking, to do a whole year project with a group of young psychosis patients who'd all been affected by suicide personally, and to do a, to do a one year arts project for them. And the major thrust of that project, that you know, in talking to the students and what they wanted to do, was uh, turned out to be a Star Wars fan film. Uh-huh. And so that was, so we ended up making like a featurette. And I, you know, and the thing at that wow. point, I'd only been uh, in front of the camera. And, and so I had no experience behind the camera, yeah. but, you know, I directed and written in theatre and, you know, and in circus and things too, but never in film. And so that was, a, that was my real kind of, but it was a great way to have a learning curve. Yeah. It was kind of, you know, it was almost my own year of sort of self-made film school. And you're a you Star know, Wars fan time. because you, you yeah, yeah, action yeah, adventure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantasy? Well, here's a funny story. <laughs> we had a uh, Hugo Weaving was going to be in it. Oh, yes. <laughs> so we had. What, was, uh, was he Hugo Weaving at the time, or was he just? I know you he know, was Hugo Weaving at the time. A... Oh yeah, he sure was Hugo Weaving yeah. at the time. And he, um, we, my fr- a dear friend of mine, Ben Lucas, who also grew up here on well, part of his years on the Central Coast, and used to be involved in black belt martial arts teacher within our schools too, as a very dear friend, and now he's a successful feature film and recently TV director too. And Ben had uh, Ben's. Ben's uncle is Hugo Weaving. Oh, and right. so Ben wrote the script for that first project. When I started doing this first project, Ben was a friend. I said, you know, do you want to write it? And so that was actually Ben's first paid kind of film writing gig. Oh, right. <laughs> so Brilliant. he wrote this Star Wars, you know, sure. And, and, you know, the adventure from there was unbelievable. It's incredible. I could talk about it all day. But, um, but Ben got, you know, asked, you know, said, right, I, you know, I can put you in contact with Hugo. So I told Hugo what the, you know, the film was, you know, and how exciting it would be for the, yeah. you know, for all the patients and the cause and stuff. And so he was in. And so everyone was so excited. And so the young people, that was so, you know, they gave me this film with Hugo weaving in it. They were so wrapped. And then the script finally came around and Ben finished the script and Hugo read the script. And I had this really awkward phone call with Hugo. Where he called me up and he's feeling terrible. Did <laughs> you know, he put on his Agent Smith voice? <laughs> yeah. Is this pre Liam? Matrix? Uh, he's a, yeah, this. Because that was what, oh, probably after proof, yeah. Probably after proof. But it's definitely Matrix. after proof, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering if it was. What, what year was Matrix? First was Matrix? 99. 99. Yeah. Okay, so. Just because oh, I'm wondering boy. what expectations are when you get on the phone. Like, yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you're referencing yeah, wait, Mr. No, Anderson, it, but. Yeah. Yeah, this 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 is in very early two thousand. So this is just after Matrix. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. this is just after Matrix. Oh. Right. Because my expectation is I'm going to hire this guy. Uh, of course, you know, because I can, and uh, he's going to bring all of his Matrix crew with him. <laughs> so uh, the phone call goes. <laughs> so, so Hugo calls me up now. Hugo is 
you know, I mean, there's a reason he is so successful in his career. You know, he's he's a brilliant mind. He's a you yeah. know he's a he's a brilliant human being and a phenomenal talent. Um, and so he's got this script that you know that me and Ben have cooked up for him. Mr. And, Worthington and has to basically explain to us that goes, look, you know, I really I was happy to do a role, but. I can't be Alec, you know, another version of Alec Guinness you know, uh, <laughs> for this Star Wars fan And that's fair enough, you know. right? Well, it is, you know, for him, for his profile and where yeah. he is, it's absolutely, you know, it is the truth because of yeah. the ambitions of where we were placing into it. It, it just, you know. It, yeah, if it he was like Android sense. number three, he'd probably sign me off. Well, even if, I think, even if he was just in a human role, but I think playing, you know, we, he really was written like he was another Jedi Master. Yeah. So that's what he was being asked to do in that kind of a role. Yeah. And I think that was sort of something who, they were... Who, uh, who took his yeah. place? Which, my uncle. My uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Who is a great theatre actor. <laughs> I'll have everybody the, know. Ben or Liam's who is uncle. A, <laughs> did, did you the whole time? Did you uh, walk around and go, "Look, I'm going to give you some direction." Um, I, I could have had Hugo weaving in this part, <laughs> but yeah. you'll do. Yeah, no, no. my actually, my actually a great stage actor. He's been he's down on the south coast. And he's been like the lead in performances on shows there for like the last twenty years. He's a great stage actor, so I was really happy to to be able to bring him in. I'd always yeah. promised him because when because of my reading Lord of the Rings 13 times before Peter, <laughs> Peter Jackson did it, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I think he, when I first heard he was doing it, it like broke my heart. No, someone, yeah. you know, and then when he did it, they, like it broke my heart and re, and you remade it all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. It was so brilliant. It's a great place to be to yeah. watch a film and then just, yeah, be lifted up again. But I always promised my uncle if I made it that he would be Gandalf, right? Yeah. That, was like, <laughs> that would be like the deal. You're so, coming with me. So he, he still holds that to me. He still goes, remember? Remember you were going to make me Gandalf. You know, he's just got my film coming out now and he's, yeah, let him down. I, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about what I'm really here for and that's One Less God, right? Can we move on to yeah, that, Sean? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go into it. Yeah, yeah. Let's do Talk it. to me about uh, the inception of One Less God, which sure. uh, is your new film, and we'll talk yeah. a lot about that. Uh, so One Less God for the audience is, is, is about inspired by the 2008 Mumbai terrorist attacks in November uh, 2008, and that was where 166 people died in those attacks, and over 300 were wounded, and many thousands of people swept up, and it was 10 militants came across the... Came across from Pakistan in uh, by by sea and landed on the streets, uh, ran on the shores of Kalaba and went into the streets from there. And they had six primary targets that they were going to attack, and and then they ended up hitting like another eight, I think it was, uh, targets of opportunity. And the foremost of those targets was the Taj Mahal Palace Hotel, which is a very iconic place for uh, for not, not just Indians, but it's hugely important for Indians. You know, so many people they do pilgrimages there to get married and you know it's got so many special memories even yeah. though they may not be able to afford to stay in it it's a very special place and in terms of it's you know this is somewhere where you know John Lennon was famously locked himself up there with Yoko Ono for eight days and wouldn't come yeah. out and wouldn't even open the door and you know and they would just sort of have to slip them you know some some rice under the door and stuff like this you know so it's it's a it's a remarkable place you Did know they write from, a song from, in the eight from, days I'm not sure, actually. Oh, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, from Mahatma Gandhi to, you know, this, this is a place that is, that, you know, has, has had every, is, is so iconic. Yeah. And so the terrorists themselves, of course, knew this. And they wanted to strike a blow at India and they wanted to also build their brand was a big part of what they were doing. And yeah. so they launched these these horrendous attacks with these five pairs of militants attacking multiple targets at the same time, which uh, we hadn't seen yet, that modus operandi, which, which has happened in France since, and with the France French model was inspired by what took place in Mumbai. 
And yeah, and, and, and sadly, that was very successful for them. That created absolute, you know, mass panic, mass chaos, as you would expect. And this was, you know, of a scale that, you know, that was certainly no one was expecting. Um, and it didn't work like a typical, ter- what you would think of a typical terrorist siege where, you know, we, we, we were so well acclimatized with American TV that we, you know, we, we see squad cars swooping in and sirens and yeah. megaphones and surrounded instantly and, you know, come out and blah, blah, blah. It just wasn't like that to try to get their heads around what was going on and to all the different things for the first 24 hours was really chaotic. Um, and that meant a lot of people just having to bunker down yeah. and then siege environment with, with, with militant storm, you know, marching hotels, trying to find people in their rooms and hostage groups in other hotels and so much going on that, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was, that's, that's, so that's, that's a bit of a, a sense of what happened. And it lasted for, for 72 hours, spreading across four days, beginning on the, uh, the 26th of November at 9, 9 p.m. Um, yeah. And you're saying it was 10, 10 militants? It was 10 militants, yeah. Isn't that crazy that such a, a small number, like in a scheme of things, especially in India, yeah, can cons- cause such havoc? Well, it can seem like it's true, isn't it? But I think I guess the thing is that 10 people who are highly trained, yeah. really well armed, really well planned, yeah. and, 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 and more and, and dedicated to task and purpose. Yeah. You know, yeah. minds totally yeah. bent upon what they're going to do in a way that, you know, it's really, you know, sad and terrifying. Um, can, so can I take I, you back one step? Yeah, if you sure. don't mind. Yeah. Um, I was just going to go to my inception, but yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just yeah. want to add something in before the inception, yeah, right? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. So, Liam, from my understanding, you had created a, lands- a landscape for yourself which was very free that allowed you to create a feature film, uh, a true feature film that I think was a, a passion of yours. Uh, mm. And you were working on a fantasy film at the time. Yeah, yeah, I had been, uh, yeah. And then, obviously, uh, this story had come across your desk perhaps or so talk what to happened, me about that yeah. inception, so, yeah. so, what, so the inception for that was actually my <coughs> co-story creator Nelson Lau we we both after the attacks they we'd, we we because we're on a podcast we're long form I'll gear back even a little bit further but um, we we had written a script about the 2006 uh, was it 2006 the, the Cronulla race riots but we'd written a script all the way yeah, back right. then and I had I had people who I knew well in the Lebanese Muslim community of, of, of Sydney and I, I'd grown up as a surfer boy. So I sort of felt I had a, you know, I had a foot in both camps yeah. and I was, you know, you know, really saddened and shocked by what had taken place. And mm. we started really trying to read into sort of issues around, uh, you know, the, these clashes of, you know, it was being built as a clash of culture and how much, and as I started to look into it, there were some religious elements playing through with the Islamic culture within it. And we, could see that some of that was starting to, you know, to 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 flow into the the mindset. We had some marches there. I think it was a, you know, through Sydney of a, you know, a group of, of I think it was it was about three hundred who who protested, uh, you know, violently against. I think when the the Danish cartoons had come out and they marched through the streets oh, yeah. of Sydney. And then some of the, you know, and I knew some of the friends of those those guys. And and quite a number of those guys all went off to end up going off to ISIS and and fighting. And quite a few of them were killed at that time. So yeah. this is. These things don't have in a vacuum, you know, when, when that's so when people go, oh, how do we get 300 foreign fighters coming out of Australia to go to fight there? You know, I mean, it's just because of 20 years of stewing with, with multiple ingredients that let you get to that place. Anyway, so we'd been sort of been around some of those ideas before. Um, and then when these attacks happened, um, for myself, I had a deep personal attachment to India because I'd... I, you know, I went there when I was 22 uh, as a young man by myself and I was really just seeking to become a better human being and better understand myself. And How, and how long I, were you there for? Uh, not, not too long, just a few weeks. Few weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, my family was scared I was going to, you know, join a cult and be there forever. I think at the time, and I, yeah. I, I, I think I'd actually, I'd given away, I was a, 
I'd just finished drama school and I'd given away all my possessions, not that I had much to give away, but I'd sort of just sort of stripped everything away and just sort of went, this is where I'm going, and I was just sort of, you know, really committed to just sort of uh, finding my inner peace, I guess, and then becoming more more centred as a human um, and of more value. And so I, so anyway, I, I fell in love very much with India, but I'd had a long fascination with it uh, through all my childhood and had been to Mumbai, and so there was, there was some personal connections there when the attacks happened. And then myself and Nelson, who I mentioned before, my co-story creator, we both had people we knew who lost people close to them in the attacks. Yeah. Now, two Australians were killed, tragically. Um, quite quite horrible stories. Um, very sad. Uh, but these, were, these weren't, weren't Australians. These were actually foreign nationals who were killed. But this is the night nature of these kind of events where, you know, this... The, the degrees of separation, you know, are not too far behind. So we, so that really elevated, you know, so it, it was a number of things all sort of colliding that came to there and yeah. then the experience themselves because we're an independent film and, and to a lot of people it seems so counterintuitive now because they all see, you know, they see the scale of the story as being so big because it is, but there is a number of elements in there that lent itself to independent cinema and that yeah. was for so many people, their experience of the siege was, you know, was being locked down inside hotel rooms and being out to go to move and, and survivors directly talking about that for them it was like a theater of the mind experience listening to the sounds and trying to you know gather what news you can and oh, judge what's gosh. safe and what's not do you come out of hiding now or don't you yeah. all that those kind of questions and just going look that, that these are some of the the kind of the boilerplate stuff as you know for for indie cinema where you can really try to to get into yeah, definitely. Yeah. and then there was also the thematics too the thematics around this stuff which you know you, you're never going to see out of not not deeply out of a, a you know a big budget hollywood style you know american version of this kind of a film you know they won't come at it from the same angle they'll push further towards the heroism angle and you know they'll make it a survivor thriller and story of human resilience which is which is fine but they won't charge into some of that deeper ground about you know the humanity of you know of, of uh of the of the terrorists and the and the and you know and really the politics of what's taken place they'll they'll they'll, they'll stay clear of that sort of stuff and so we sort of went look there there's there's a terrain for us there is there is there's a place where we yeah. think we could offer something of of genuine value to this yeah. story and at that <coughs> point there was nothing like that there've been some great docos and there was another film coming out from an Indian director which was really a, a pure reenactment of the entire thing you know everyone what where who when where how and we said well let's let's not do that it's silly for us to even think that we can do that so what have we got we've got 166 people you know which are unique terrible powerful stories and you can't put that on screen that's that's too many um and then you've got all the people who were wounded and all the people swept up so now we're into the many thousands of stories um and then of course you've got the police and the commandos and so you start looking at the scale sides, of that yeah. so you start going right what is <clears throat> what's your approach you can either go let's let's pick a handful let's pick you know, let's let's cherry pick a few stories and go. We'll do that and be true to these stories. Yeah. Um, and I had concerns because you know I'd, I'd looked at the Cronulla race rights and been to this sort of true event story space before, and the number of stories I've read of films that have been made where families are ripped apart by them, or they're so you know they're they're they're, they're suing the filmmakers and they're so upset by the depiction of it. Um, and so to these events to 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 put up new story you know stories of, of, of victims uh for what is ultimately still a commercial endeavor if you're making a film to go forward that you know that was something that for me well you know there was there was a moral conflict there that i wasn't really i didn't really see 
that as being a, the, you know something I was very happy or comfortable with. Um, and not to say that it's, it's not to say that you can't do it. You can find people who are happy and want their stories to be told, and you can work with them closely, and you can try to do that. And then there is some value there. But there were so many stories to yeah. be told. I didn't want to cherry pick. I went, yeah. look, let's let's how do we distill? What well, you know, let's distill the experiences, yeah. the commonalities. And so we, you know, we, we got across as many of those stories and experiences as we could, and we tried to come up with the composites of some of those stories, and, and then you know embed yeah. them into characters, which is what storytelling, you know, in its classic form tends to do. The archetypal approach that you'll find. That's a real things. challenge, though, isn't it? Massive, oh, huge. massive, huge amount of effort. So you, you, know. you co-wrote or wrote? I wrote. Uh, we, wrote. Co- we we came up with the story together. And Nelson okay. edits extensively for me, but yeah, I wrote so it. how did you go about your research? And gee, it was long. I mean, <laughs> I, I penned I penned the first draft back in two thousand nine, so it would have been you know probably around nine months, I think, after the attacks. And there was lots of you know lots of information. I think the first the first drafts were very much drafts about, as I said, a reenactment style film of a set number of experiences, yes. but they were you know they. For me, they were empty. They weren't. They weren't doing. You didn't no, quite you, have the narrative yet. Yeah. Well, or... they 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 didn't have the reason for making the film in them embodied through. Once you find it, then you've got to layer that through. Yeah. And I didn't know what that was yet. Which, to be fair, is that's because that's where you begin. You know. And I think you know. And to, to be credit to ourselves, I guess we didn't stop there. We you know we kept we kept pushing and searching. And but more and more information kept coming out, more and more information about Lashkari Tiber and the, the terrorist organisation behind it, the geopolitics around, why they you know they conducted those events and the history there. Um, so digging in deeper to that and then starting to, for me, starting to read into not just, you know, follow other attacks and read into the manifestos of different organisations and the Islamic wave of terror that, you know, for me, this is not, you know, I'm not, not trying to... to give myself any kind of credit here but it became pretty clear to me probably about 2010 that what was going to take place in Europe over the has over the last you know six to seven years was coming yeah it was yeah. It, you, you you know the writing was there for anyone who yeah, was wow. paying attention yeah um, and you know these 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 organizations were strong committed dedicated you know they were they were, they were going from strength to strength off the back of uh, of uh, of nine eleven, they weren't you know it wasn't going the other way, and this movement was rising, and so you know reading that, discovering that, and learning, and then trying to go you know what how how do humans combat this you know how does it lie and 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 what's going into it because you have it's a real cocktail. People will say to you what you know what what makes a person you know what makes a terrorist, and some people think it's just a you know a psychopathic disposition. These people are just like a a horrendous version of criminal. And for some, that's true. Yeah, for some systems. people, it works as a you know it's a bug light for psychopaths. Yeah. You know, the terrorists, and, and, and that's that's how it works. Um, but you know, more compelling for me is when I read stories of 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 young people, and you know, men and women, young. You know, some of them. You know, we've got children for some of these organisations who go in, and these th- these are characters and people that by no way could any rational person characterise this person as a psychopath or a monster. And so you start going, wow, we have, we, have a, we have a much deeper problem to try to understand here. Okay, now we can move on to saying, like, you know, another key part of the factor is the grievance narrative. Now, the grievance narrative is, is profound and is utilised by charismatic handlers and organisations very well. The, the militants who attacked, uh, who attacked India and Mumbai at that time were, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've read some of the stuff about what they were, <coughs> I've read a lot of this stuff, but... Um, yeah. 
their training methodologies or what they'd use inside the, the Pakistan camps, usually around Kashmir where they had their camps, Lashkari Taiba, um, and they... You know, they're, they're showing them the destruction of uh, Babri Masjid, that's the Babri Mosque, which was uh, a big mosque in, uh, in India where, where Hindus uh, rallied after some, you know, some, some falling out with, you know, clashes between Hindus and, and Muslims within the, 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 the society that then led to the destruction of the mosque itself. So they use that. They have video footage of that. They talk about that and they show this. Yeah. They talk about the fact that they consider that India was conquered, that it became Muslim lands, and then they use the, 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 the section of the Quran that says we have a right, we need duties, not, pardon me, not a right, to take back Muslim lands. These, these lands are ours, and they use that. Um, and then they show them Gaza. They show the Gaza Strip. They show them Palestinians who have been, you know, who have missing legs or limbs and dead children. Yeah. And they, they utilize that. And that's what they do. So they build up, a, you know, now, regardless, we already know, I mean, for me on a human level, look, if someone killed my family, <coughs> I care who you are. If you drop a bomb on my family, you know, yeah. it wouldn't matter. There's, no, there's just no justification. I'd want to kill you. I'd want to hunt you down and I'd want to, I'd want to wipe you out. Yeah. So we have that kind of personal connection. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's one I think most humans can forgive and can understand how that will just... And this is why, you know, Mahatma Gandhi is right, that you can't, you know, violence will never combat violence. It will only breed more hatred. This is why this pathway yeah. can't work for us. Um, and it's why the mechanism is conversation, which is why I love being here See, with you. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah, you had so much information at your fingertips, which mm. is great, but it's also overwhelming, right? How, yeah. how did you ever feel lost in... in the information, or you, yeah, you yeah. always had Look, a clear path. Oh, I, maybe not the information, but the the breadth of the subject matter. Yeah. I mean, look, this is going to say sound a little bit callous, but some people want to, you know, a story like this depicted on screen and make it just about the the personal experience of some people who died inside the events or the attacks. Now that is profound, and that's you know that's profoundly affecting, but. That happened right from the beginning from the news cycles and happens right through, you know, it's been in documentaries and it's been even been in other films now. And you have to go, what is it? You know, what, what, what are you wanting to, you know, why are you making the story? Yeah. What are you trying to understand? And for me, that's what I call formulating the problem. Yeah. You know, because from my own understanding, you know, working with, with, as a teacher and working with students, unless you correctly understand the problem that you're facing, your 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 assistance, your help, your movement towards it is useless or very limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you you have to try to you know understand as well as you possibly can. So that was the first massive journey, and doing that, you know, it's you know it's 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 immense. It's it is immense, and it is so complex, and it's uncomfortable, and it's painful, and it's going to push you into places where you don't like the truth you find. Yeah. You know, and that and that's hard. And, and and but you but it's but there it is, looking you in the face, regardless. So you have to try to you know grapple with it. Um, and for me, people, you know, I get a lot of people say, oh, you know, aren't you worried about the production scale? You know, these kind of events, aren't you being too ambitious for an independent film? And I get it. I understand what you're saying. You know, can you? You know, can you physically render them and how are you going to do that? Um, but it's not what made me lose sleep at night. You know, I lost sleep at night trying to go, you know, how do I actually encompass that, that deep emotional terrain that lies beyond the story, which everyone else is depicting? Yeah. They're depicting the basic human survival level story. Yeah. And I'm going, but we have deeper echoing themes that are taking place and our children are being killed for them. And how do we, you know, how do we ever hope to move past them? 
how do our conversations have to go? What, you know, what do we have to be talking about? What has to be this, or, or if it's not what we're talking about, what has to underpin a conversation? Yeah. The kind of friendship, trust, shared humanism that you have for each other that allows you to discuss a painful, dark, difficult concept, yeah. you know, a challenge that, that threatens on part of your existence and be able to unpick it and untease it <coughs> until I'm, you get to What I'm really that. interested to get to see in this is, you know, obviously they're around 9-11 um, and then there are some films that came out just, you know, after that going through a, a similar process of there are, what you know, 3,000 people that were in the building, then there are the people who um, came over and, you know, flew planes and there's, there's loads of people. There's a lot yeah. of information. There's a load of stories, you know, and I'm sure they did a similar thing with some of the um, characters in there. But uh, having your film now, uh, knowing, I guess, more of the connection that um, the world has around, you know, terrorism and things and everything you've just discussed, like, you know. Yeah. So I'm really interested to see how your film, you know, really does tackle... Um, that sort of uh, concept compared to what they did in 9-11. Because in the 9-11 films, it, it really came out a bit more sort of, you know, um, America. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here, is, here are some stories that are genuinely sad, but it was almost for just a dramatic sense um, because nobody almost wanted to see a film that showed you the other side at that point because they brought it out about two years after. No, well, the thing, the thing, the thing about the other side is that, you know, there are some real problems here because as humans, we've got to be able to go, we've got to be able to look at something and go, this is atrocious, this is monstrous, yeah. this is devastating, and, you know, and, and be able to have that at the same time as go, you know, but this is being conducted by humans. Yes. And, and you know, and I've, I've talked about a, a bit about one of the boys who at the time was a boy when he, uh, when he was first recruited by Lashkari Taiba and he was a he come from the rural territories and had and had came from a very poor family and he'd moved into Lahore like uh, like like many push in towards the bigger cities and many many cultures and he'd become a petty thief and he was known on the streets of Lahore as movie boy because he would stand in front of the t the, 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 the the shops with the television sets the multi multi TV sets there and he'd act out the movies oh. for <laughs> hours on end this guy right yeah. um, and. I think it's five years later after that, he's on the streets of Mumbai at 9 p.m. firing into a, an Indian train, the, the biggest Indian train station in Mumbai, wow. you know, which yeah. you can imagine a number of people. And he's tossing grenades and firing AK-47. And you just go, how did that guy get to there? Get to yeah. there, yeah. You know, now there, there is, the, the, these, these are profound yeah. and uncomfortable truths that we have to grapple with. Yeah. And it, it, it encompasses everything from ideology. You know, there are a coarser ideas that motivate people within, is, you know, Islamic jihadism. But we have people who, you know, they don't want to say that because, because there is genuine concern about the demonization of Muslims, of innocent Muslims. Yeah. So, and both those things are right. So it's no problem is, is, you know, one goes, this is a truth, and goes, blah, 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 so how can the other one be right? The other one goes, this is a truth, how can be right? Yeah. But it's what's called competing virtues. Yeah. And this is the complexity of living as a human, is there's more than one virtue. Yeah. There are competing virtues, and so we have to be able to grapple with these competing virtues at the same yeah. time. Yeah, different beliefs. And yes, <laughs> and I think that's, yeah, uh, we're a lot more understanding, sympathetic, I don't know what the word is, you know, uh, Two other cultures, or some people are. Well, <laughs> two we're other cultures. There, but yeah. Whereas, you know, the, the whole shock of that um, uh, that initial sort of New York attack, I think, stopped people wanting to at all even, I, I guess even myself, you know, sort of consider what could happen on the other side to get to that point. 
Yeah, well, there's, 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 there's fear there. I mean, there's, there's, you know, the, the use of this term at the moment, Islamophobia, is a, it's, it's a problematic term for me. And I'll tell you why. Because it's a problematic term because people have fear of Islam. And you, if you are someone living in the United Kingdom and you're, you know, your family lost your, you know, their, their teenage daughter in the Ariana Grand concert when she was blown up, yeah. you know, you, you'd be very hard put to say that your fear of Islam is not for that for those people justified. Yes. You know, in the same yeah. way that you would say that, you know, if you're living in Afghanistan that, you know, and your family lost themselves in, a, in an American drone strike, yeah. that yeah. you don't have a fear of the drone. You know, that this yeah. is not would be called, you know, America phobia. You know, this this would be a, a of course you would have America phobia. Yes. I'd be scared shitless and hate yeah. the Americans too. Yeah. Um, yeah, depends on the so, eyes that you're looking through, right? Well, it yeah. depends on the eyes experience. So what, you know, so this is the, you know, we have to see any experience can polarize and any experience can, you know, push there. Yeah. So we have to be able to go, now what worries me is, is, is and fear of Islam in that context is correct, but I think it needs to be teased better apart because what, what we're really talking about is, is, is Muslim bigotry. Yeah. Is yeah. anti-Muslim bigotry. You know, we're talking about deliberate prejudice against the people because of their, you know, in some cases their ethnicity, but in some cases purely because of the fact that they belong to that religion. Yes. Yeah. Now that is that's a very real problem. But that problem doesn't you now people t I've had, you know, conversations with people who believe that the answer to that is something like the the, the Australian film Ali's wedding. Um, that we can do a version like what the Wog Boy did for some of the, you know, when the Greeks were get, getting given a yes. hard time. You know, we can start to see, we, it humanises, we can go, look, they are just the person next door. Yeah. You know, don't you see that? They're just humans who want to live, love and get on with their lives too. Now, there is, there is a deep level of truth to that, except we have one big problem, is that terrorism and the people committed to conducting it and waging jihad, are. there would have been 12 attacks in Australia in yeah. the last two years. I challenge anyone... What do you think the political landscape of this country looks like if those attacks were successful? Oh, completely. Yeah. If they're not intervening, you know, do you have any idea how much that you know, how polarized, how intense, and how terrible it could be? So for me, it's about you know, we have to be able to talk to terrorism, yeah. and we have to be able to do it in a way which doesn't demonize. Yeah. We have to educate, uplift, and empower the middle because at the moment, both sides of the political extreme are weaponizing it. Yes. They're both using it, and we've surrendered the ground. If we if we the, the the rational, reasonable, central, all the you know the the many millions of Australians go well, we, you know we don't talk about this stuff. Then who will talk about it? Yeah. Well, I know who talks about it on the terrorist side. And I know who talks about it on the far right xenophobic side. Yeah. You know, so this so, so what do we want to do? Yeah. You know, so we have to understand. We've got to, be able to look into the dark places and the hard places and talk about it. So that's a so, so yeah. There's a piece of cinema that tries to do some of that. Some of that. So I know that you are taking um, your film around at the moment. There, um, where is it showing? It's showing at Hoyts. Well, we opened in Japan during the week. That, You're that, in that, Japan that, during that, the week. That tickled me pink. Yeah, yeah. I'm really? in Japan at the moment. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah like, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, the only reason I was going to say that is because <laughs> I saw that you're having some Q and A's as well. Yeah, we are. Yeah, um, yeah. And are you are you the only person that will be on? Do you have any actors? No. Or? Yeah. So the Q and A's, I have, I have myself, and I have uh, I have a lady called Divya Salaska who. Uh, She's the daughter of a, of a man called Vijay Salaska, who was a senior police inspector and encounter specialist who died in the attacks defending uh, the Karma Hospital from the terrorists. And <clears throat> Divya contacted me a couple of years ago after she saw the trailer release for the film. Yeah. And 
she was very moved by the trailer. You know, we've got some of the humanist tones that come through in the trailer. She saw was like, this was obviously she sensed rather that this was going to be something a bit different. She thought, yeah. Yeah. so yeah. she reached out to me and got in contact, and we started chatting. And then when I went to Mumbai the next time, we we met up and and you know and then and and had you know spent some time together and. You know, and that was, and she's a, a lovely person. Her, her family had been through, you know, such, so, so much because, <laughs> you know, it's not just having, you know, she's not just another Indian participating in the event. She is the daughter of a famous Indian in the, who was killed, in, you know, Martin events. He was given the uh, the highest award in India for bravery, for you know, for his, yeah. his sacrifice and those attacks. Um, and... So Divya has a you know a very very profound insight into into these you know into these subjects and then of course I arranged to get her a print of the film to see um, which when, you when know did which Divya she loved watch it? yeah uh, that would have been just after our trip to Mumbai that first time um, what did she rate it would have been about five? a year ago probably about a year yeah. ago she saw she saw a print did you, <laughs> so what, what <laughs> did, did she rate it out of did five she give you a rating out of five <laughs> <laughs> oh she luckily she, she yeah she she, she really <laughs> likes the film I think she'd be on board yeah very good she um she. Well, was no, she affected very, by the film? Yeah, she's she very was moved. I mean, I was, yeah. you know, you, you're nervous because you don't yeah. want to. I'm, I, and you know, this this isn't a film made for victims and survivors. I mean, I know you know that some of them are going to watch the the film, and you hope that they are going to to see the humanity that you've you've dealt with it, and the you know you've you've depicted yeah. the horror as earnestly and as honestly and as tragically as you know. That's your responsibility as a filmmaker to to do. Um, but also, I think I hope you know that. They'll see that uh, there is, a, you know, that you grapple with some of the deeper themes that they do. See, yeah. Divya, Divya was not concerned with whether, you know, her her father is on screen. You know, she's concerned with, you know, how do we stop these things from happening? Why are these things happening? What is what are, what are, what are what are the mechanisms within humans yeah. that allow the buttons to be pushed that we end up in here? Now, that makes so much sense to me because yeah. you know I know I know that people have a fascination with just learning about the facts or figures and events, and you know, and you can do that. You can you can create a historical document. That's fine. You know, a visual historical <laughs> yeah. document, you can do it as a filmmaker. I think most of the time it's better suited to documentary personally, but you can set that as your aim. But as a survivor, you know, or someone who's, you know, who has uh, lost your, you know, your, your someone very close to you, uh, that I don't think that's really what your, you know, what, where your fascination lies, yeah. where, you know, what keeps you up at night. And yeah. so she, so our, our, our efforts to go into that terrain for, you know, for her, we were you know, I deeply were deeply appreciated and seen and you know and, yeah. and understood. So for me as a filmmaker, that's you know that, that was a, you so know, enormous. Nine, nine so years sorry, ago. so she'll be there. She'll be there and also lead cast. Yeah, uh, lead cast, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll be there too. So yeah, it should be great. The Q and A's. So if, if people want to actually go to the Q and A's to watch the film one, but then talk about this um, you know subject as well. Yeah. Where where do that's we... why we've been, we've been doing a lot of Q and A's for this purpose and in festivals and things too. They've been so you know very very profound, very successful because of that. Yeah. Um, uh, so we still, uh, unfortunately, the, the 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 first big one at Hoyt's EQ down there has sold out, which is great for us. Yeah, but great uh, for you. Can't <laughs> come. Um, however, we have another Q and A still on, the, which is on the, the the night afterwards at the twenty uh, fourth at Parramatta event. Oh yeah. Um, so that's a Q and A there. So. I imagine you get a, a big crowd out there, um, even if it's on the night. 
Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, we, we, we're putting on that, that, that one specifically too because of the large Indian community out yeah, there right, in Parramatta yeah, and, you know, so we can... We'll, we'll, we'll we can pop it on the uh, social media as well just to yeah, great. let people know great. what's going Everyone on. Everyone know. And then there's a couple on the and coast. Then we have, yeah. yeah, we have a couple on the coast. Yeah, the Central yeah. Coast is a Q&A on the, um, this weekend, but there's only a handful of tickets left for that one, on the, which is uh, the Central Coast premiere, which is on Sunday the 21st yep. at Event Tugra. Event Tugra, okay. yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely not many, like front row. <laughs> yeah, I think, you're front, I think you're in the front row. That's right. <laughs> um, and then, uh, then we have Evoker on the 26th, uh, which is a Q&A, and Metro Lake Haven on the 1st of November is also a Q&A. And then I believe on the – I've got a couple of follow-up screens at Evoker Beach Picture Theatre, which are also Q&As. So, yeah, there's still a handful of Q&As. So, oh, so if they go to our Facebook to... page, yeah, we've got – and there's event pages for all these sort of things, so we're easy to find on social media. And yeah. if people want to book tickets to any of the sites and link through, yeah. um, they go to uh, go to Umbrella Entertainment um, is the easiest dot com is the easiest way just to find us there, and that can show you where where we're Umbrella screening for you. Okay, cool. All right, well, uh, I got a couple other things. Hang on. Yep. Nine years ago, you you started writing. You put in your first draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nine years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you finished this film. <laughs> you finished this film. Uh, when did you actually wrap uh, post production on this film? We wrapped post in two thousand and fifteen. I think it was. Oh wait, hang on, hang on. No, no, no. I tell a lie. Sorry. No, 2016. We wrapped post. Wow, that's that's yeah. an epic project, right? <laughs> epic, massive. <laughs> yeah, it was mega. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. How do you how do you feel like? What an accomplishment. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it is. You know, filmmaking for nearly all filmmakers is a is a personal Everest. There definitely is that. That it, it's it's a it's. it's to make a film is a mil more akin to a military exercise than it is to, for me, as a background <laughs> of theatre. You know, you, yeah. the logistics and the variables are immense. Um, so you, you have that. To do that without money, uh, you know, without without significant amounts of money, um, not that we had no money, but we had small amounts of money compared to nearly all films. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're in low-budget land for an Australian film. Not that we, you know, we, we typically go out there and, you know, push that forward to the front because the film has been standing on its own merits and most people are stunned by, you know, when they actually learn the budget, they, they, they can't believe it. So when we, and we like it that way because we want them to engage with the film, yeah. not engage with the budget. Um, and, you know, in some areas that's always going to cost, a, you know, a VFX, you know, a lot of that I had to champion through myself, you know, had a bit of a VFX background, studied a little bit, so I had to push through a lot of those things. And so, you know, and... The handful of people we could hire means, you know, our VFX are serviceable, but they're not, you know, you'd never go see this film because you're looking for a great set piece sequence, you know, that's yeah, not yeah, yeah. that's not the terrain we're in, if I'm honest, you know, which I am. <laughs> um, however, what we have captured and what we have realised, I think, is, you know, is really, you know, stands up there in cinema. I think that's why we've won some, you know, won one number of awards now at different festivals and, and have been so beloved. Around and, the world, yeah. Yeah, and, and beat up, you know, even the, the, the local one at Byron, you know, I'm so proud of we, we beat up big films, you know. We beat up films which are literally 20 times our budget, you know, and some yeah. of these are award-winning films from big festivals like Sundance and, you know, and I... So it was... It, that, that, that Those experiences, they, that there are a good shot in the arm after so many hard years of... Uh, of graft, yeah. you just yeah. look. Yeah, forget talent, right? <laughs> forget it. Yeah, yeah, hard work. Hard work is number one. You just gotta keep, so keep, keep stepping up. Would you do it again? Yeah, I'm about to. I think. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll be off again. Working yeah, off, yeah. Work, slowly working on a new project. Yeah, we got several. Got several, several in the okay. mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like to shift into TV too. To, to, to you know, we're working that way as well. So much great. Yeah. Of course, well, so much great entertainment there. But I love film. 
it's a lot of versatility now in uh, in media, being able to go to film, uh, TV because it is so much like film. Yeah, well, I think it, what they're doing for, on Netflix, like you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten part series yeah. where you can tell the story, you know, more than a movie length, so you can do it over ten hours. Or I think that's yeah. wonderful. I think so. I think, yeah, we know the pressure's on for to make cinema culture has become big event culture. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's particularly, I mean, I don't want to take us off a big another rant now. But we've had many a conversation about this. We have, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> but, you know, we'll do a sh- part two. Yeah, okay. We'll do a part two. We'll go to the industry. Yeah, okay. yeah, we, yeah. we can't leave you without our biggest question of the day, Sean. Do you want to? Uh, it is. I uh, just yeah. want to put in a little. Okay. Liam Worthington, Sam Worthington, any relation? <laughs> yeah, we have to be in the gene pool, I think. So, I think somewhere, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know how far apart. All right, goes, let's leave it at yeah. that. There might be a relation. <laughs> All right, I can tag him on social media. That's good. There's, there's hope in Avatar 3 or 4 or something. <laughs> but uh, the, no, the question we want to leave with is um, your top five films. Go. Oh, top five. <laughs> <laughs> Told you it'd be the hardest question you've got to have. Top five. You have to prepare me for that. Um, we won't hold you to it. It doesn't have to be much. five, four, three, two, one. Just. This one's a top five. Just mm. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to put The Princess Bride in there. Uh, yep. I'm going to put... Uh, I'm going to put Full Metal Jacket in there. Oh, I love that film. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick. I'm, I'm going to put uh, Train Spotting in there. Wow. Yeah. Danny Boyle. And... I'm going to put Lord of the Rings in there. Uh, your... Jackson. Now, is that one film uh, or <laughs> number one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the trilogy. I'm, go- I'm going number one. I mean, I think the trip trilogy tri- tri- is epic, but I'll, yeah. you know, I'll, just, I'll just start out with What are your thoughts on The Hobbit, just quickly? Uh, let's just move on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I can do The Hobbit. The Hobbit was a shame for me because I think that, yeah. you know, we made well, Peter, Peter fought so hard to make three films out of what you know what what when people want to make him make one for lord of the rings was the right move and then they yeah. fought so hard to make him make three films out of a film that should have just been one and i think that was you know that really showed up in the hobbit and i think it, you know it's a film that showed the level of of the machine the industry the machine, machine. oh man exactly and, and right there and yeah <laughs> and how it gets into this you know yeah. when it gets when it seeps into the the hobbit know, should be like an episode of tv not three Six-hour films, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just such a humbler tale. It's a humbler tale. It could be sweet and really well-rendered oh, like yeah. the book is. I read yeah, The Hobbits yeah, yeah. a great amount of times too, but, you know, they, they, we know what they were doing. But yeah, Paramount yeah. said to Michael Bay, we only want you to do one episode of Transformers, one, one movie, and he <laughs> said, well, what, what do I do with all these other explosions? I've got to something. <laughs> I, I do want to end on something. Oh, hey, that four. Sorry? That oh, four. you got one more. Yeah, yeah. I'm only four. Boy, okay, I'm going to regret it though because there's so many... Films You'll be on the way home going, oh, what so about this, what about that? that? Yeah, but um, <laughs> just trying to think of things that I've, you know, that I've wept through <laughs> or, or have really moved well, me. Well, the notebook I mean, gets I, 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 I did weep in the notebook, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it's impossible um, not to. <laughs> I stood around after that screening. We, we saw it at the movie convention, actually, and yeah. I, so it was an early yeah. screening. And I, there, were, there, were, there were just pods of women Clasping yeah. each other and just weeping, and then me and my stupid Nelson Lau going to out you now, us weeping, <laughs> clinging <to> each other. <laughs> but no, I think if I look, just because we'd mentioned it, you know, he's such a great director before. I think Fight Club for me was such another great yeah. film. It's hard Fight to Club. leave out, but I, you know, I could start going back to all the the classics. Like you know, I really love some films like. Uh, oh, these are honourables. 
Nah, we do oh, have well, honourable rules. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, To Kill a Mockingbird, I think for yeah. me, there's stories like that that are really profound and meaningful. But there are so Scout. many beautiful, yeah, great yeah. films. So I'll give you a top 100 in one day. <laughs> <laughs> we welcome it. Oh, brilliant. Well, look, I'm uh, personally excited to see the, the movie. Um, so I'll definitely join in on one of those Q&As uh, along the way. Yeah. Um, and we can't thank you enough for your time, Liam. Yeah, uh, no, I'm no, you're a busy guy. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, before we go, did you have if any... You do, if you want to do a live stream podcast from one of the Q&As, you know, something like that, you'd be welcome to, just putting it out there. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay. Right. let's talk about that one. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to mention or spruik or where can we find you? I'll just give one quick shout out to just just to the, all the cast and all the crew and the people involved in making the film. I'm like co-producers. Um and I would say to to audiences that I think you're going to see some really stunning Australian talent on display in this film, that there is people that keep saying to me, how did you get this incredible international cast? And they are an international cast, but they are all Australian international cast. Yeah, brilliant. From diverse cultures. These, these are not people who we've, you know, we're not throwing millions of dollars at, you know, big names from other countries to come in and do these roles. All this talent was found here, is up on the screen from here. And, the, and the, there are performances up here that I'd put up against anything that are in this film. They really are, you know, and they're stunning. And I've, and I've been around the acting industry for a while, so on this yeah. one, I, I, you know, I'm happy to, you know, to draw my line in the sand and yeah. back up my claim. Put out the challenge. Yeah. yeah well, thank yeah. you again. And we can't wait to watch support. it. Check it out. Make sure you do. Now, I want to leave with this quote from you Ooh. that has inspired <laughs> me and it's in association with this film. But I'm going to get Liam to read it out if you don't mind. Okay. This quote is profound and it just made me think for days and days and days. And we'll leave with this. Thanks again, Liam. Just got to put the glasses put my on. Glasses on. Yeah. <laughs> you are a director. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I look like a director. That's right. Ah, uh, oh yes, yeah, I know this quite well. If our children can die for the sake of our beliefs, maybe it's time our beliefs started dying for the sake of our children. Uh, it's actually, it's if our children keep dying for the sake of our beliefs, maybe it's time our beliefs started dying for the sake of our children. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. Let yeah. that digest for a while. Yeah, if you can't, if you, if we're not willing to change and let go of things for the sake of our, our kids, then you know, then I just sort of put it to us that you know we we don't have much hope of transcending our programming. But I think we can. Yeah, I think yeah. we can. But we've got to focus on it. All right. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Lovely to be here. You guys are awesome. Mm-hmm.